Today I'm joined by Alex Proyas, who is an Australian film director, screenwriter and producer. He has directed a few of my favourite films, which are The Crow and Dark City, but he's done a plethora of projects like iRobot, has a brilliant array of short films and plenty of music clips that he's done for Crowded House and NXS. His resume is impressive and extensive to say the least. So I'm excited to talk to you, Alex, today, and I believe you've still been working during the COVID time. Yeah, I have. Um, and nice to talk to you. And thank you for asking me how to pronounce my name, because I'm very used <laughs> to it being pronounced many, many different ways. Yes. Um, but yeah, I've been working away. I mean, what, what else can you do? You know, I'm not going to sit in my burrow and do nothing, you know, and watch movies and stuff, although that's kind of appealing at times. Um, but yeah, I've been doing a bunch of stuff and I've had a lot of people joining me in my, in my escapades, which has been great. Uh, mind you, when it first, when the lockdown first happened in, in, in Sydney, in Australia, uh, back in, I guess it was, was March. March. Yeah, it was March. March yeah. Uh, we, we had just shot a, a short film, literally the last week. We were kind of, we were kind of joking about it because no, no one realised how serious it was going to get. And we were kind of just, you know, you know, there was talk of maybe a lockdown happening, but none of us were really taking it very seriously. We were, you know, we were like air hugging and stuff, you know, with the, with the cast and crew. <laughs> Yeah. Um, film people like to do. We like to do things like that, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, literally, the week after, I um, I'd, I'd, I'd set up this studio in Sydney to shoot this short and to do my other work, and and um, uh, a bunch of people had joined me to set stuff up, and literally the week after, everyone had everyone left. I found myself sitting there alone editing the film uh, myself without any of my usual support crew they'd all disappeared you know they're all gone a lot of them had gone to look after aging parents and you know mm. lock themselves down and and uh, it was awfully awfully depressing not just for me but for everyone um but i yeah i just kept working and and slowly over the months the you know my my cohort dribbled back in and um now we're back to full strength with everyone on board doing stuff you know we have a we know a sort of like social distancing policy in the right. building and stuff, but and we're doing a hell of a lot of zooms rather than physical meetings. But you know, it's kind of, I think we've all learned that it's kind of easier and better in many ways rather than driving across town to yeah. to just zoom, zoom the meeting. So that's been fine, you know. So really now, I mean, I, I'm we're back to back to the way it was as far as. I'm concerned as far as my, my work goes, you know. Yeah. And so this studio, the Heretic Foundation, you created this, right? Like you, it's your actual, yeah. yeah. And which is great to take ownership and have your own space. I think maybe that'll become more and more the norm in Australia. I think it will. Out. You know, yeah. I, I did it because I, um, I wanted to bring all the disciplines of filmmaking into the one space, you know. Yeah, it's a studio, but it's also a post-production facility. We do VFX. We do everything in the one space. And and it all hangs off this thing called virtual production, which is um, a way to create environments in a, in a computer and put your, add your actors into, into those environments, you know. And um, I've been doing this stuff since, you know, the early 2000s, um, but it's become more user-friendly and... Therefore, you, you don't have to really leave this space. You can bring the whole world to your space and, and shoot a film anywhere you like, you know. Um, so um, it just happened to coincide with this horrible p 
pocks that we've been uh, plagued with and, and it happens to be a, a very use, usable model for working in pandemic situations, you know, um, because the crews are smaller and you don't, you're not like driving all over town with your unit of people and going to different spaces. You're basically, you're, you're, you know, everyone checks in much like any other establishment in Sydney now and, and it's, a, it's the same bunch of people every day. So unless someone starts coughing and, and yes. sneezing and we must cast them out onto the street. Yes, yes. You know, yeah, we're, we're um, you know, touch wood, but everything seems to work really well. So yeah, that's great. It's a very, very future-proof model, I think, in many ways. What has happened to the projects that were just about to commence before the world went into COVID land? I read that there was a sci-fi thriller that you're working on um, with Mike Metavoy, and I was wondering what has happened to some of those projects. That bit of news probably came out just before the the, the pandemic. I think so. When you'd signed with um, them, yeah, yeah, and obviously yeah. things have changed quite oh, dramatically. Yeah, okay. I mean, I look, it's it's kind of weird because I, here we are, exactly almost a year after that initial lockdown, and and. A lot of stuff went into suspended animation, into hibernation, you know. Now it's like I'm just starting again where I left off March last year, you know, February last year. So it's a film called The Unpleasant Profession of Jonathan Hogue. It's based on a Robert Heinlein novel. Yeah. Um, look, you know, my, my all directors, me, me is like, I'm, you know, just like everyone else, at, at a certain level of, of, of directing, you, you you juggle many projects at the same time. So that, that project is pushing forward, but so is another project, which is called The New Country, which is the other one that... that we the time travel like one? Many, what's that? Is that a time traveling one? Did I read that? Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. 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 And, that, and that was... Um, and that's also moving forward, and we'll see. We'll see which one wins, basically. Wow. Uh, so that, yeah, that's See how it, it all goes. Unfolds. But I mean, I in the last year because I haven't been able to proceed with those projects. I mean, the new country in particular, which is the one that the time traveling one, which looked like it was pushing forward pretty well in February of last year, uh, meant I had to shoot all over Australia for it. So I've actually spent the lockdown rewriting it and mm. future proofing it as I've done with the studio to make it virtual production and. Um, you know, because we don't know what's going to happen. And, and, you know, we are doing well in Australia, but of course the rest of the world, the US and the UK in particular, are doing very badly right now and getting yeah. seemingly getting worse all the time, which is bizarre, but that's the, that's the state of play. You know, it's bizarre. I say bizarre because we're do, seemingly doing so well. And I think if anything, we're, we're overcompensating here with our, I mean, I feel stupid walking around in a mask when there's no, yeah. there's no infections at all in the in the community. Um, but there you go for whatever reason. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think re redesigning the projects for this potential ongoing scenario, um, because you know we, we've we've now set a precedent to the point where I fear, and many others fear that. Even once we're through this this particular COVID nineteen, you know there'll be other pandemics. You know, pan pandemics. Well, there'll be other other viruses. Mm. Um, whether or not they're they're determined to be pandemics is kind of 
we'll see. But but it's it's um you know we may end up being in a situation where this is kind of the way thing the way things will move forward. Uh, I'm not particularly pleased about that, nor would I imagine anyone is. Yeah. Um, but we have to be aware of it um, when we're making films and when we're in, in, in any other industry. We have to proceed with caution and know that, you know, we have a, a, a sort of fallback procedure to, to, to keep working and keep creating, you know. So yeah. I, I'm very aware of all that stuff. Which is... To, I mean, it keeps, it really keeps people sort of having to be ever adaptable as well. And one of the questions I was about to ask you, and it, I guess it'll kind of tie into the way you've now set up and facilitated your, your studio, but, you know, like without generalising, um, you know, there is a specific tone and aesthetic to your films. Like it's right up my alley, you know, emotionally dark and surreal, sci-fi, distorted realities. And once upon a time that would have required like huge set production and construction, but now with effects that's just shifted so much over time, right? So like from when you were doing something like The Crow, I imagine, to now, can you talk a little bit about the shifts and how that's changed? Yeah. I mean, this film that I've just finished called Mask of the Evil Apparition, it's a short film, 20-minute. We're just about to finish it. We're, we're getting very close and it's going to go to the festivals and stuff because yeah. what else do you do with short films, you know? It looks like Dark City and and I, I think it's, you know, visually every, you know, every bit is great as Dark City was. Mm. Dark City, we, we built that whole world. I mean, we constructed it as sets, you know. Yeah, it was huge, um, right? Like, that would have just cost uh, a fortune, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, relatively. It was relatively inexpensive, but it was, yeah, it was 20-odd million dollars at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, now we're doing, you know, Mask of the Evil Apparition looks every bit as good as Dark City was, but we've done it all in a computer. So it, it, we haven't built these massive big sets, which is, it's a shame. I like, you know, I love working on big sets, but mm. what this does, this new way of working is um, it frees me up. I mean, I, I've had no financing for this film. I've completely financed it myself and gotten many favours, but it's, you know, if it was 20, 20 minutes of Dark City cost probably about five or $6 million to produce, this cost exactly nothing, you know? So, so that, that shows you that how things are changing. Um, and what that means, of course, as you lower the cost of your productions, you, you know, all the, all the, those executive type people who breathe down filmmakers necks and they <laughs> yeah. go away they disappear. I yeah. say, bye, never, yeah. never to be seen again. Cut them out. I, I can rule my own, my own destiny, you know. It's great. It's um, a whole new level of self-sufficiency in a way. And, you know, yeah, that's you kind of like well, that. I've always been envious of other artists, you know, as a filmmaker. I've always been envious of, you know, the composer or the musician or the writer who can wake up in the morning and go, you know what, I want to write, I'm going to write a book today or I'm going to start writing a book today. I'm going to create a great composition or write a song or just play music or whatever and or do a painting, you know, um, they're not at the mercy of someone walking around with a little tin cup in your hand going, please give me some money to, to, yeah. to, to you know, justify my existence, you know. Yeah. Well, we're getting to the point where filmmakers no longer have to do that either. We're not quite there yet, but yeah. I'm pushing forwards into that direction. You know, the, inter the internet is the final piece of that, of that um, 
of that puzzle, you know, like what you're doing right now in, you know, you know, a few years ago, you couldn't have done this. You know, you would, you would be someone who worked for a TV channel or a radio station or something, you know, um, and that's the only way you could get out this interview to the, to the public. Whereas now, again, you don't have to just be justified to do it. You just go and do, do it. it. You know? Exactly. Um, so that's the wonderful thing about the internet uh, and, uh, amongst all the horrible things about the internet. Yes, it's <laughs> a real mixed cool. bag. Um, <laughs> That's for sure. But, um, but they've gotten rid of Trump now, so maybe he won't be. He'll be one of one less horrible thing floating around the internet, you know. So. <laughs> I, I would like to know, what are some of the, the equipment and things that you wish you could still use or had stayed? Because, again, cameras and equipment is, you know, gosh, the technology, it's like I can't keep up. So I imagine, are there any things that you like wish that you could still shoot on because everything is just so highly digitalized now. I, um, I have a little, uh, I, have a, I have a screening room in my house, like a little home theater, which I'm very privileged to have. And it's a wonderful, you know, it's a wonderful big, quite a big size screen and I can put 20 people in there to watch movies and we often do. Um, and I have a little, I have some shelves there in that room that have got all my old cameras, my old, um, yes. My original Super 8 camera that I got as a oh. kid, and then my 35 millimeter film camera that shot a bunch of my movies, and and they're there because they're I don't use them anymore. Um, it's all digital now, of course, and yeah. I've got all my new equipment to shoot digitally. Um, but I'm very fond of these items, these objects. Um, they're my, like my paintbrushes, you know, and uh, yeah. I keep a lot of stuff like that. I'm not usually very sentimental about old stuff, but that that's those items I'm very sentimental about and keep and keep them and you know i think the biggest loss that we are experiencing and we're going through it right now is the big screen you know the, which which i fell in love with and and that's why i wanted to make movies i didn't want to make tv i wanted to make i wanted to make big screen movies that's what yeah, uh, drew, drew me to the medium um and sitting in a big theater with lots of people and and enjoying yeah, the same thing yeah, yeah it's, um, I mean, that's that whole experience has been really messed up over the last de couple of decades. Um, it, we've really, it, we started losing it a long time ago, but now it's the sort of final, sadly, the final death throes. You know? And something that I love about the theatre is not only because it's dark, because <laughs> I'm light sensitive, but you just don't get the ambience. I mean, I've got a gigantic TV, which I love and I'm grateful for, but some of the, the landscapes and even the soundscape, you don't get the, I don't feel like you fully immerse like we used to. And I was just having a conversation yeah. with my friend the other day that I haven't seen a movie that I really, really love in a long time. Like what, like an American psycho or a Requiem for a dream that just really grabbed me. And I don't know whether that's got anything to do with it being like some of those senses sort of being ignored, you know, by not going to having that cinematic experience, I guess. Yeah, it's it's not just the the big screen and the big sound, um, and you know, of course, some movies require that more than others. Um, but it's actually the ex the whole experience. It's mm, the immersiveness. It's going to a going to a special place and going there at a particular time with a lot of other people, and and you know, getting across town, getting into this room, which is like you know, I'm, I guess I'm thinking more of the old you know um 
single screen picture mm. palaces rather than the multiplex. You know, the multiplex, yeah. you know, most multiplexes just give me a migraine as soon as I walk in the door. They're <laughs> so loud and obnoxious and there's like popcorn smells and things that I don't <laughs> really want to smell and it's, they're just horrible, horrible. There's sugar everywhere for someone avoiding yeah, sugar. Yeah, sugar everywhere. You can't Drop get tops. away from it. You're just breathing in the sugar fumes, you know. Correct. But it, but it's 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 more that experience of that single screen and going to a special place for a special occasion with a lot of other people, and it's very it's kind of very church like in some ways. It's kind of it's it's this weird mystical quasi religious experience, you know. And as a kid, that's what I loved, you know. That's what I experienced, and you know, you you would. You, you know, that's been diminished substantially. Um, and now I think it's really almost a, it's an old fashioned concept. It's almost yeah. gone. And the art of not being distracted, you know, like that's what I loved about the, the cinema yeah. too. Like, well, no, of course, when I was a kid, no one had phones. Now people are distracted in the in, in, in the cinemas, theater. you know. Yeah, which is so um, You know, people are looking at their damn phones during a movie in the, on the big screen, you know. But in my day, there were no phones, really, um, as a kid I'm talking about. Um, And, you know, or, or, you know, as I got a little older, mobile phones were these things that made a noise and were so so obnoxious that people would, you you know, the society wouldn't accept it. You know, people would yell at you if your phone went off during a movie. Now, of course... Yeah, the etiquette's so different. Yeah. No one cares. Everyone's got phones. Everyone's using them to text or do stuff. And, and it's, it's like it's a whole different world, you know. How do you feel the Australian industry is is going to sort of come back after COVID? I mean, how do you think the industry is kind of shaping up here, like make, in terms of making movies? A lot of bad, very bad mistakes have been made in the last year or so. Yeah. One of the, big, one of the major mistakes that have been made was the the you know the producers offset the forty percent offset yeah. Yeah. at the end of um, June June thirtieth this year it becomes thirty percent, which is just enough to like destroy the industry the theatrical industry and on and it's on top of the fact that for years now they've they've made it mandatory that you must have a theatrical distribution to mm. receive the forty percent you know. Um, which is crazy because theatrical distribution, I mean, now, what does it mean even, you know? Yeah, it's like, like the only reason there's Aussie movies in the theatres at the moment is because they can't get any enough US Hollywood money. productions yeah. into the theatres. Well, unless it's a co-production so, too, yeah. Yeah, so, so what's happening right now, and the Aussie movies are doing quite well right now theatrically because there ain't a lot of choice for punters to go and see, to see theatrical movies and they'll give the Aussie movies a go finally, you know, whereas if they've got a Marvel movie right up against an Aussie movie, oh, then, you know, like, um, like um, you know, The Dry, right? The Dry has done quite well, yeah. but I yeah. guarantee you if there was a Marvel movie, like if Wonder Woman was around exactly this time or whatever Marvel crap was around, The, the Dry wouldn't have done anywhere near as well, you know? So, exactly. so we're, we're living in a little, we're going through like a little bubble of, of kind of, confidence overconfidence in a way because i just don't know that i don't know that it's going to sustain you know a point of tension i think would be co-production in the australian film industry what do you think about that you know i'd like to think that anything can and anyone can come and film here just as if 
just they could. as if they, as they do in the US. But I can't blame people for getting irate about you know if there's if there's if there's work to be had. Why are we giving uh, it for someone offshore? for someone to give it to offshore people yeah, above totally. local people? I kind of understand, you know. It doesn't quite make sense to me in the acting area, though, because and, and I've had enormous run run-ins with in, on my productions with 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 Actors Equity here because right. the whole thing is it's Aussies bringing in a film offshore, an offshore film to be shot here, and the film wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fact that Aussie producers and directors have brought it here. Exactly, you know? it's um, and so twenty-two. You know, yeah. We're going to give work to a lot of people, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it, it should be more um, understood that that's that's the, the situation. But like I say, I can't blame people because we, you know, the industry here survives barely by the skin of its teeth from from month to month. And, and when things are doing yeah. badly, then you can't blame people for going. I'm not working, so why are they bringing someone else in from somewhere else? You know? I think a lot of people in the creative arts industry, especially filmmakers, writers. I think we all go through situations that are incredibly challenging, whether the production gets pulled, an actor, something happens. I mean, obviously you've had no shortage of adversity on some of the productions that um, you've made. So I wanted to talk about if you could reflect on The Crow and how you come back from something that is seemingly devastating, but you continue doing your craft. Because I feel like yeah. that's a mass scale question, sure. But I think it's very easy in our industry to get rocked, right? And to be like, what am I doing? And why am I bothering? And that takes such a huge emotional toll. You know, film is about adversity. Film is about, about you know, it's, it's the one of, it is one of the most challenging arts because mm. as, a, as, a, as, an, as a film practitioner, you are wrestling with the commerce and the creativity at the same time. And the commerce is usually the dominant um, force in your world um, you know when when I make big movies I describe it as I'm running a marathon and I'm doing my darndest to push myself to the limit of of everything I can give to win the marathon and then the studio executives line up on both sides of the road and throw chairs under me as I'm running right yeah right. that's kind of a that's kind of the metaphor for how the, the really big films function, you know, because yeah. obviously, as we were saying before, as the budget increases, the amount of creative freedom decreases and the amount of, um, amount of interference from very fearful studio people increases, right? So, so that's just, that's filmmaking, you know. So, we, you know, the paradigm right now is, is starting to change and we need to change it even further to put the creative control in the hands of the filmmakers and to take this level of stress away from them because it's incredibly destructive, you know. Mm. Um, I, I, I thrive on, on, I'm kind of this weird sort of anarchist kind of guy, right? <laughs> when, when I'm in LA and there's an earthquake, I kind of get excited, you know. Right. Other people run and hide and jump under tables and I kind of just get excited because I'm going, you know, the shit's really going to hit the fan now. This yeah. is going to be incredible. Yeah. Um, and as long as my family are with me, people that I that I love that, that I that I love dearly and want to protect, I'm kind of cool with with that level of craziness, you know. So I'm kind of the perfect person in a way to be making films, you know. 
Um, but I don't enjoy it. It takes a huge toll out of me. Yeah. Uh, you know, the stress takes a huge toll out of me and it takes me some time to recover after every film before I kind of go, well, I want to go put myself through through that whole madness again, you know. You, you've got to be aware of this. You know, the, we're living in a very sort of cotton wool culture at the moment, right? People, young people are kind of like, they've had a generation of helicopter parents or something, I don't know what it is, but you know, people are like, oh, don't don't say anything that will offend me, you know, and, and this whole mentality is is insane when it comes to to making movies, because yeah. making movies is like you are a you are the general as a director, you are the general of an army about to go to war. There's no way of cotton wooling that concept. That's what it is. Yeah, if you're yeah. dealing with an investor, that's what will what it will always be, you know. Yeah. So I see a lot of young filmmakers sort of coming into this into this situation expecting people not to offend them or upset them or this or that and i'm going no you've got to you, you it's going to happen to you you just have to be prepared you've got to have a thick skin and you've got to like you're going to get through it if you do but if you don't you're going to you're going to make maybe one movie and, and decide never want to do it ever again. Because of the, it was, they don't teach you that type of stuff at university, certainly not when I was going through my... No. Exactly. And I fear film school probably isn't teaching them that kind of stuff either right now. No, and I think, but that's the practical element that we need, right? Because, you know, you get this degree, you go out there and you're like, oh, shit, well, how do I, what do I do? There's so many components. But I wanted to ask you, have you seen, what's the last good, really good film that you've seen? Like one that really moved you or got you excited? The, I have. I don't like streaming, right? I don't like watching films that are streamed. Yeah. Um, because it's too much like TV, which I've never been a big fan of. Um, I have my collection of Blu-rays that I play in my home theatre, and I see them at a very good resolution. And they're movies that I trust because I've seen them before. So a lot of a lot of films that I'm just familiar with that I, I go, they're not going to disappoint me, you know. Look, uh, I like. I thought Parasite was okay. I thought yeah. um, Paul Schrader's film uh, First Reformed was great. Really, a great movie um, in in a sort of real, like in a good old fashioned way. You know, there was a <laughs> there was that terrible version of the Joker they made with Joaquin Phoenix. That I, I hate superhero movies and comic book and dressing up the taxi driver as as the Joker. And everyone went, wow, this is awesome. No, it's just fucking Taxi Driver dressed up with makeup, you know. But Paul Schrader, who wrote Taxi Driver, at the same time had this film called First Reformed, which very few people saw because it was a small film, wasn't yeah. didn't have a superhero guy with makeup in it. And I'm going, no, this is the new Taxi Driver by the guy who made the old Taxi Driver, the original yeah, Taxi like Driver. The actual original. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So, so that's um, you know, there's a couple at least that I mentioned. And you've but you've sort of um shifted. You've done a couple of short films. Can you tell us like so that was strange nostalgia. Can you tell and the one that's coming out when is that coming out soon ish? Evil the apparition. evil apparition. apparition. Yes, yeah. it's it's going to. Well, I I hope that can the Cannes Film Festival play it. I've had a good run with the Cannes Festival over the years and they're interested in seeing it um it will if they if they you know can have a premiere policy which means that you can't show the film anywhere before they show it right yeah 
Um, and that's fine. They can. They can do that sort of stuff. They can do what they um, want. Yeah. So, so, so we're going to show it to them in the next few weeks when it's done, and hopefully they'll like it. They may not. Who knows? You know. Um, it looks pretty cool. The trailer and, is definitely. Uh, I have a real quench for that type of stuff, that genre, and it's just it's not a lot of it out there at the moment. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, good. Well, I, I, I'm not sure where it's going to end up because it, if it goes to Cannes, or even if it doesn't, it's going to be doing the film, the festival okay. rounds for some yeah. time. Uh, you know, I haven't been, I haven't done the festivals for a long, long time. I just haven't really been making those kinds of films. No, you know? But... Um, Strange Nostalgia I made during the lockdown, the first few weeks of the lockdown when I was trying to work out how the hell I was going to keep making films when I couldn't actually be anyone, I couldn't collaborate with anyone. And I ended up collaborating over the phone and Zooming and all that sort of stuff and making it that way, you know, and um and then a festival, I put it on, I just put it on YouTube, you know. Yeah. I didn't know what else to do with it. And then um, a festival uh, out of the Canary Islands of all places, mm. Isla Calavera, um, did, asked me to show the film. And I said, sure. And they, and then the, the, the chap who ran it said, look, you really, this is, this film is a really like, you know, perfect it's festival brilliant. material. Yeah. yeah. You should start showing it to other festivals. And I had other festivals contact me and, I kept sending it to other festivals and people kept giving it awards and stuff. And so. Great. Everyone loves, yeah. loves a bit of recognition. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. I'd forgotten about all that festival. Yeah. All that stuff. fun stuff. Yeah. 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 So I guess the final question that I wanted to ask you is what advice would you give people who want to get into the film industry? Cause you know, I've been talking to so many people and I'm still like job hunting at the moment. They're like, Oh, you know, the industry's changed so much because of COVID and, you know, productions change. I was like, I just don't think that's a very positive, hopeful message. Look, I, I think it's what depends on what you want to do in the film industry. I mean, yeah, it's like that joke, you know, about everyone wants to direct, you know, that, I can't <laughs> yes. but, you know, everyone wants to direct, you know, and, and you go, okay, well, good, but you've got to do the directing. To, yeah, but you've also got to kind of find the way to that point, you know, um, in the States, and depends on what kind of film industry you're talking about, in the States, and sometimes here, writing can be a very good way to that, to that, to get to get into the film industry. That is, you just keep writing scripts, and yeah, one day, you. hopefully, a, a producer will go, Wow, I really like this script. Yeah. And they'll make the film, and then you next the next one you might be able to go, well, can I direct this one as well? Or Maybe the first one they'll let you direct as well, you know, if they like you enough and think you can direct. But so, so there's any number of ways of doing it. But I think the key really right now is just make stuff, you know. Just be um, creative. Yeah. Just make you. I, I did a little. I did these little YouTube videos, and I made one called something like "Make Your Damn Movie," you know, because yeah. it's like there's no excuse not to now. You've got you, you can make it on your phone and your That's laptop. Right. And, Look at the success just, just people have it, had you know? with their phones. Yeah, like people have made full-on, yeah, movies on their I mean, you're not, a, you're not a director by doing that. You, you know, I, 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 after 40 years of directing films, making films, I barely feel like I can call myself a director. Um, some days I don't feel like one because it's so long between making films. But, you know, and you've got to, you've got to get experience. You know, you've got to keep... You got to keep at it. You, you know, you don't. 
you don't watch a few YouTube videos and know how to direct a film, you know, no. you've got to practice your art, keep doing it, like training, like you're an athlete training yeah. for something, you know, you, you're not going to just get up in the morning and jump in the pool and win a, win a, you know, Olympic gold medal. You've got to, you've got to train for that to happen, you know? And I think a lot of the times the convenience of people, you know, the, the, the value of films has been diminished and, and both in terms of the making of them and the watching of them, you know, when people can access them without going to that special sacred place and, you know, driving through the traffic or whatever they do, whatever we used to do to get to this sacred event of a screening a, a new film that you hadn't, hadn't seen yet, you know. That's because that's all gone now. It's like you can go, I want to, you know, wonder what that thing is and dial it up on your iPhone. You know, um, mm. the the value has been lost both in the making and in the and in the viewing, and and so people have also got to appreciate. Filmmakers have got to appreciate that it's a long, slow process to become good at making your making film. It's not going to happen like that, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's got to be commitment and there's got to be struggle, just like any other great art, you know. Exactly. That's just the way it is. You referenced that, you know, obviously working on, on big films definitely takes a toll. So what are some of the practices that you do to help you cope with those things or do you just kind of collapse at the end, like you said, or do you try to realign yourself or meditate during those big processes? Yeah, meditation is very is a very powerful uh, tool. I don't actually I, I don't meditate in the kind of sanctioned way, um, though I've read up about meditation and stuff, and I've never I've never really gone to be taught how to meditate properly because I've developed my own style of meditating over the years, which is effectively just the same. Really, it's it, it's the same kind of idea which is finding uh, a, a period of time to just sit and reflect and focus and go into your into your own psyche you know mm. and to try and, and try and distance yourself from the the outer world you know I'm a fairly spiritual person I don't Same. necessarily subscribe to particular religions but I subscribe I do subscribe to the notion that there is a, a higher power and that yeah. and that and that you know consciousness came first and then energy and matter followed yeah. um which is basically a belief in god um but you know i believe that the body and the and the and the mind are, are separate and the soul is a real thing and so i try to channel those things when i'm so-called meditating which is my own as i yeah. say my own version it's a very it's a very effective i find it a, a very effective thing um but then there's a lot of practical things which I'm still learning after all this time. You know, yeah. I'm 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 heavier than I'd like to be, and aren't we all? We were, about, <laughs> we were talking about this at the beginning of the call. Is I've just given up sugar, and it's been great because I've realised how detrimental sugar has been to yeah. not just my physical well-being as I'm as you know in the daytime, but it's like I sleep better, I dream more. Um, all sorts of great things that like a clear you know, vessel that, that, have, that really affect your 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 mind. You know, mm. physicality does definitely affect your mind. I don't think you can split them off to the point where no, you, they can exist on parallel pathways. You know, I think you know it's they, they one bounces off the other. So 
it's about finding that sort of you know overall thing. In the past, I've you know, I've done ex I've exercised more leading up to a film to prepare myself physically for that long marathon that we were talking about. But it's all it's a, it's many many factors, and it's like I think with people they've got to you know they have to discover their their own their own useful tools, but. But um, yeah, I think some kind of meditation is is a is a great a great thing. You know, in the past, people often people turn to drugs. You know, the industry is full of oh, of course alcoholics and cocaine addicts and what have you, for the same reason that the, the stress and the anxiety of it just gets to people. And drugs are are that their own outlet for those people. But obviously, they're of course they're incredibly destructive um and yeah. they're only short-term fixes i used to smoke like crazy i used to be a chain smoker on films and 10 years ago i just gave up cold turkey um my daughter uh, who was a baby at the time was my inspiration to give up smoking um and that also had a huge impact on my entire the way i function during films you know um cigarettes Cigarettes are the worst drug in many ways because they're the the perfect you know little hit you have after every you yeah. know because films are like film film big film sets are like either you're incredibly anxious about how long everything's taking or incredibly bored because it's taking so long <laughs> or both at the same time yeah. you know which is a, a lethal combination of emotional influences so cigarettes you know I remember going outside onto the yeah, outside the soundstage and just smoking away after every setup yeah. while they set up the next shot. And it's like, you know, just habit it's, forming a, it's, too. A, it's yeah. a terrible, terrible habit in that, that respect, you know? So that's now affected me completely. Like I work completely differently having given up the, the, the smokes, you know? Um, so there's another little, yeah. a, another little yeah. tip and it all adds to your stress. You know, the, the holiday the cigarettes make relax you, you know, they give the, the guy who's going to get shot in the firing, you know, the, the executed, they give him a final cigarette to smoke. Well, yeah. it just makes you more anxious. Smoking nicotine makes you more, yeah, more, more anxious. You know? So it's not going to relax you to have no. a cigarette. No. And I'm trying to, as we were talking about before, I've my real Coca-Cola, full-strength sugary Coca-Cola habit has kind of snuck itself back in. So I need to, to kick that. But it is challenging, like when you're working on even just productions, like it can just go for so many hours, you know, so your eating gets disrupted. So I used to have to make a real point of making sure I had uh, ordered eating because I found myself completely disordered, you know, like not eating for huge periods of time, getting massive headaches. So for me, eating properly, because you can kind of get so engrossed in it and not realise how the time is kind of disappearing. I guarantee you sugar is the key. Uh, getting rid of sugar in your diet, I found that I ate, I eat less. Yeah, because I, I used to have like a can of soft drink or um, or a fruit juice, uh, you know, like a not a freshly made one, but one out of a bottle, you know. And they're incredibly high in sugar, and soft drinks in particular are incredibly high in, you know actual refined sugar which is the worst thing you know or corn syrup or whatever oh, that, oh, that high fructose corn syrup yeah, lethal that makes you want to eat more so as you're eating and if you're eating and on a, on the set i would eat like often eat like high carb diet because i needed the energy and i'd be really 
run down and I'd be drinking a can of soft drink and eating a, you know, high energy, high energy food as well and eating more of it because I'm drinking sugar as well. Yeah. And this is a terrible combination of stuff because then you have a, a few hours later, you have your, your crash, your sugar mm. crash, and then you need it again. So if yeah. you get rid of those sugar highs, yeah. you, you lower them. And I'm, tra- I'm talking science like I really understand it, which I, I don't. Love it. But <laughs> don't take this. We're thing. not medical professionals, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, you drop that sugar high. Well, I'm talking from my own experience, right? Yeah, this is what, whether whether or not this will work for other people, who knows? It, it's really worked for me. So I've dropped those sugar highs, and I don't get the lows as much now. And we're talking right. about we're talking about highs and lows, not just physically but emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. and that really ties into your mental well-being. You know, yeah, and so all this stuff, yeah. all, it all affects everything else. So if you can try and manage it all. I know it's hard, but if you can try and manage it all, then you'll be a better, um, you'll survive for longer probably and um, you'll probably make more films as a result. Exactly. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. I really appreciate it. I understand that you're incredibly busy and for sharing some of those insights with it. No worries. Nice to talk to you.